Hello and welcome to another edition of the End Zone Podcast. My name is Eric Jensen and I'm joined today by two good friends of the program, Ryan Kearney and Joe Rolls. No uh, Trey Watkins today. Trey is is starting a new endeavor in blogging about FC Barcelona, the the soccer team. Um, I don't know if either of you have an, an, an affiliation for uh, the beautiful game, I do. I, I quite, I quite enjoy soccer. I would say it's the sport I watch the most next to football. Um, I, I quite enjoy soccer. Just watched the RSL game last night. Got a nice draw in Colorado. But uh, Trey is now blogging about the world's largest sport, the biggest sport in the world, and uh, he will not be joining us today. Hopefully, he will be back next week. Ryan is laughing just at how how much of a absolute madhouse uh, the, the start of this podcast is. As I've just gotten back from lunch, I have fried chicken that's going to get cold over all this. Hopefully, it'll reheat okay. Ryan, how are you? You know, a phenomenal intro, Eric. I mean, nothing new. I mean, you, you never disappoint in those. So I'm super thrilled to be here. I mean, no, not really at much soccer comments from me. I'm going to leave that to Trey. Anytime I get questions about soccer on my podcast with Donnie, another friend of the show here, he always has to carry that. So soccer, not really my kind of cup of tea, but, you know, you know, we're, we can kind of bond over our football chat. So I'm, I'm excited to get into it as always. And joining me now, a man I bug on Twitter a lot, and I'm grateful he came on the podcast today. It's Joe Rose. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing good. Uh, I think soccer, that's the one where you kick the ball, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's where you kick the ball, yeah. Classic ball-kicking sport, um, soccer is. So, yeah, that's, that's where Trey's at right now. Well... Today is a draft-focused show. We have Ryan back on, our, our senior draft analyst for the End Zone podcast. Uh, welcome back, Ryan, of course. Thank you. A great man for that title. No one else I'd rather give it to. <laughs> and uh, we are going to be talking about some of the cornerbacks in this year's draft class. We'll be talking a lot about the top cornerbacks, and then I'll ask for some depth guys from Ryan. Uh, but first, a little bit of NFL news. Not a ton has happened this week since our last podcast. Uh, Bobby Wagner, the biggest move of the week, signs like a $50 million contract with the Rams and further proves my theory that the salary cap is in fact a myth and just something that we put out there as a social construct. And you can basically just push money off until forever, it seems like. So Bobby Wagner is a Ram Joe. I know he was a guy that the Broncos had some interest in. Where do you see Bobby Wagner as a player right now? I've seen a lot of different competing takes on him. Last year, I thought he looked good, but some people disagree with that assessment. Some people thought he lost a step. Uh, Where do you stand on Bobby Wagner? I mean, there's definitely a little bit of an athletic decline happening, uh, but we're at a point where, I mean, Bobby Wagner's experience and mental acuity is so good that playing behind the Rams defensive line will probably hide that a good bit. Uh, but five years, 50 million. I'm, I'm definitely glad the Broncos didn't commit that much. <laughs> All right. You know, 
I, I think Bobby can be a, a good addition to a defense that obviously, you know, has some uh, – they're a little weaker at linebacker, but they – you know, add him in, he can be a tremendous teacher for some of those younger linebackers like Terrell Burgess, who plays more safety, but also plays linebacker sometimes for the Rams. So uh, I, I think that the move was overall good. Ryan, any thoughts on Bobby Wagner signing with the Rams? Yeah, no, I thought it was a, uh, a good fit. I mean, the Rams just continue to look to find a way to get veterans and obviously a team coming off as much success last year, winning a championship makes sense why Bobby Wagner would want to go there. Interesting to me, it was in the same division as well. I wonder, you know, how that's going to kind of turn out. You know, the Bobby Wagner returns to Seattle game is going to get a lot of headlines. So I thought that was an interesting fit for that reason. Uh, the other big move came yesterday, Devontae Parker getting traded for, uh, I believe, a fifth and the sixth to the new England Patriots from Miami makes sense. They kind of reloaded their wide receiver core with Tyree kill makes sense that they would move on from Devonte Parker at this point. Uh, Devonte Parker to me is a very average wide receiver and always has been um, nothing. He's not bad, but I don't see him as like, a game changer, but it's also just kind of a classic Patriots move where it's not too flashy, but Devontae Parker will definitely help out Mac Jones. So, you know, I think that's a uh, positive. Am I reading that move right? Do you think, Ryan, or do you think Devontae Parker is going to have more of an impact than I'm le uh, leading on for him? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's necessarily like, you know, a, a bona fide top one or two receiver. It's kind of an interesting fit with New England, who I think that's kind of like he kind of fits into the collection of guys there with like Nikhil Harry and uh, Nelson Aguilar, for example. But I don't think it's like a too, you know, significant of an ad, but another guy staying in the same division. But Parker kind of strikes me as someone that, you know, he's kind of come a little bit slower along in his development. I think Miami wanted to see some more production earlier, but maybe having an opportunity to go to a second team, maybe in a little bit increased role, um, even though he was given a pretty big role in, in Miami, I would say, because they didn't have many good receivers around him there uh, during his time outside of when they got Jalen Waddle last year. So I think it's kind of an interesting fit, uh, but I don't think it, you know, turns the Patriots into, oh, wow, you got to really look out. I still think their skill position players as a whole is, you know, not necessarily the strongest, but even still with all that, Max Jones was still pretty good last year. So who knows? Could be a, a, a nice fit um, if he's able to, you know, keep getting better with a new team. Joe, what have been some of your overall kind of thoughts on what Miami's done this offseason? Oh, I mean, they've been aggressive. Uh, I still think that it boils down to what they have at quarterback versus kind of the other teams around them in the AFC East. Uh, the thing is, knowing what they know about Tua, this is kind of the make or break year for him anyway, and they've they've made the moves to try and evaluate and see if he's the guy. Uh I don't think it moves them past the Bills. Uh, trading away Devontae Parker, bringing in uh, Hill, bringing in uh, Tons, uh, not Tunsil, uh, bringing in oh, Gerard Armstead. Gerard Armstead from the, the Saints. I mean, I think they'll be better. Uh, but the thing is, the AFC all around is insane. And they still have one of the five weakest quarterbacks in the AFC. Wow. That's a, that's a take right there. I, but, 
if you really break it down, might be correct. Would you agree with that assessment that two is one of the five weakest quarterbacks in the AFC, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, I, I think with, for me with Tua, like, it, it's kind of hard for me to evaluate where he's at now. I think, like, this is a, a big year, obviously, for him now that he has an improved offensive line. Now he has Tyreek Hill along with Jalen Waddle. I feel like the like if Tua continues to struggle this year, then you're saying, okay, like, there's a, the excuses are out. Like, you need to start performing better. And I don't think, like, his output so far has been great, but I also don't think it's bad enough to where I think maybe he's like bottom five, but I think that, you know, this is going to be kind of the year, like he, he needs to kind of at least have like, you know, 4,000 yards that I would say at the minimum, uh, if, if we're really going to kind of say, okay, you know, Tua is uh, definitely kind of earning that, you know, big second contract. So I think that's where I kind of stand on that. I, I still think he's, you know, fine overall, but I did expect him to, you know, burst on the seam a little bit more than he has so far. What do we think about Mac Jones' development with this move, Joe? I mean, I think the bigger move in terms of Mac Jones is the fact that they lost McDaniels. Right. It'll be interesting to see. Who did they hire to replace him again? Bill O'Brien, right? Or is he still in Alabama? I mean, they're replacing him with Bill Belichick. Belichick is the technically the offensive coordinator. They brought in Joe Judge. I, yeah, I I get the Parker trade with the idea that they needed a wide receiver and I think it'll help. And, and again, I don't mean this is a slight, but Mac Jones is another one of those quarterbacks who is hovering near the bottom of the AFC. Uh, And again, like Tua, this isn't necessarily an indictment of them themselves, but you think about the AFC quarterbacks, you have Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Russell Wilson, Sean Watson, Lamar Jackson, Derek Carr, Ryan Tannehill. I would say all those guys are like definitely better than Mac Jones or Tua, at least as far as we know, as of now. Uh, and then you have Trevor Lawrence who was supposed to be last year. He hasn't yet. Uh, but if he makes the second year jump that everyone expects at that point, you have Mac Jones, Tua, Davis Mills, Zach Wilson, Mitch Trubisky kind of rounding out the bottom of the AFC quarterback list. Yeah. And who knows what the Steelers end up doing in the draft. There could be a Malik Willis to add in there, uh, I guess. Uh, I'm, I'm not entirely sure how to feel about Malik Willis. It feels like what people have said about him has drastically shifted in the past few weeks. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree that suddenly Mac Jones and Tua are kind of right there in like that bottom like half quarterback discussion for the AFC which just shows you how loaded the talent is because I think if you put Mac Jones in the NFC with like some good coaching and some decent weapons he might be closer to the top half uh well it's just wild how deep the AFC is a quarterback well and I think that that's kind of like the argument against Mac Jones last year was that in a way he's kind of the product of a supporting cast. Like, and this, this isn't to say he's bad, but he doesn't necessarily lift his help. And so for the Patriots, it makes sense to continue to add help around him, especially while he's on a rookie contract. But I think we're kind of sleeping on how big a loss McDaniels is. McDaniels is a very good offensive coordinator. Yeah. And, and that, you know, Brings up another point. I've, I've been thinking just more and more about the Raiders offense and me and Trey were debating when we're going to break out the 
who are the top 10 offenses in the NFL, but like you look at that Raiders offense with Josh McDaniels and you're kind of like, Oh, okay. Like this could get really spicy, like really quickly. So uh, I'll be interested to see how that plays out as well. Only other huge piece of NFL news. Um, Just wanted to point this out because I like laughing at the Washington Commanders. It's fun. I know Ryan's a division rival, so I know he too enjoys laughing at the many misfortunes of the Washington Commanders. Joe, I'm sure you are a sane human being, so you also probably enjoy uh, laughing at the misfortunes of the Washington Commanders. Um, Well, Daniel Snyder may have finally found his way to get of how to get kicked out of the NFL ownership group. It's pretty sad that it had to be this, like toxic workplace environment, sexual assault charges, oh, not so big a deal for NFL owners, but we found out that Daniel Snyder is uh, potentially, allegedly skimming money off the top and not giving his share of revenues that he needs to give back to the NFL to redistribute among clubs he's cooking the books a little bit. This might be enough to finally and end Dan Snyder, if it's true. And I, uh, I'm just very interested to see how this investigation goes because that's a very serious allegation that Dan Snyder is basically stealing from the NFL. Joe, what do you think? I mean, I hope he's gone. Uh, it's kind of insane that the all the allegations of workplace misconduct didn't do it but my understanding is basically the nfl owners have kind of protected him because they're afraid of anything coming out about them so so it makes sense that they they've kind of like rallied around him for this but taking money from i if if it's true i think he's out i don't think there's any like if ands or buts i don't think they're going to put up with it Yeah, I I don't think so either. I think that this will probably likely be the final straw. It's interesting that Congress is leading this investigation, I will say, because the NFL won't make uh, investigations public to the public or even let them be written down. But Congress is going to, at some point, publicly release a report on what's happening in that organization. And I think that will be some fascinating reading what do you think ryan yeah i agree with you on like the congress part but it, it like they like lied about their financials like they're looking into seeing if like commanders were like straight up just like oh yeah we're all good we're making plenty of money and they were like using separate books that they were just like not telling anyone about so it's like yo like this isn't even just like an nfl thing it's like this is a crime like you can't be doing this so may end up forcing uh snyder to sell the team but i mean there's been so many issues with dan snyder and his ownership with washington so i mean it may just kind of be about time uh even regardless of how the situation kind of comes up all right let's take a quick break Let's take a break. Trey, unfortunately, the reality of human life is that someday we will all pass on. No one wants to think about it. It's an uncomfortable topic, but it's important to take care of you and your loved ones when that day comes. That's right, Eric. Fortunately for our listeners, we know of a great guy that can help you set up your wills and trusts. Absolutely, Trey. Our friend Andrew McCullough has you covered. You can find him on Twitter at AMCC 
U-L-L-O-U-G-H-105. His DMs are open, and he and the folks at Brindley Sullivan can help you take care of you and your family's estate planning needs. Don't just take our word for it, though. Here is University of Utah star and current draft prospect, Britton Covey, to tell us more. Hey guys, Britton Covey here. As my long time at the University of Utah is coming to a close, it's time for me to start thinking about my future. There's no one I trust more than Andrew McCullough at the firm of Brindley Sullivan for my estate planning needs. Give his office a call to set up a free consultation at 435-673-9220. Andrew's firm is headquartered in St. George, but he spends plenty of time along the Wasatch Front taking care of his needs. So call him and tell him that Britton Covey sent you. More info at trustyourtrust.com. All right, back now and here to talk about the main topic of the day, cornerbacks. Cornerbacks, George Payton, Joe, and I very, uh, you know, famously were told by our general manager last year that finding a franchise cornerback in the draft is harder than finding a franchise quarterback in the draft. Um, I don't know if that's true. But I'll start there. Ryan, is it harder to find a franchise corner than it is to find a franchise quarterback? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I understand the sentiment. Like, like franchise cornerbacks, like there's just is there's just not that many. I think there's more franchise quarterbacks than there are franchise cornerbacks, but like I think there's less than like half the teams in the NFL that you consider like they have like a true like franchise corner that is like a bona fide number one on the depth chart every single year for at least like five years. Like it's very challenging to find those players. So, I mean, I think I understand it, but at the same time, like you can't argue like the significance, like you need a quarterback much more than you need a cornerback. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's just more challenging to find some of those, you know, lockdown shutdown corners because, you know, the position as a whole, it's challenging. You're trying to mirror the movements of someone else and they know where they're going and you have no idea. So it's a challenging position without a doubt, but um, yeah, it's kind of a funny thing to say that I feel like fans would, would kind of roll their eyes when they hear something like that. Um, in a situation where, you know, they could have taken Justin Fields, for example, they take Patrick Sertan, but you know, where that's just, uh, that's just where I say on it. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's definitely challenging to find those franchise corners. So I understand the sentiment. Joe, where do you, uh, see the positional value of cornerbacks these days? I know that, that you're big into positional values. Uh, I mean, I think cornerbacks are one of the four or five most important positions you're going to find in the draft. Uh, I want to say also, George Payton said that uh, quarterbacks are available more than franchise corners every year, at least the last couple of years. He didn't say franchise quarterbacks. He was alluding to, and again, like this is based on my understanding of it. He was alluding to the fact that quarterback movement is, has increased over the last couple of seasons. Uh, that said, I, again, I still don't necessarily believe that that makes corners more important than a quarterback. Uh, but no, in terms of the, the positional value, yeah, I would say receiver, corner, tackle are probably in pass rusher, are probably in the top four after quarterback. Uh, so they're very important. Awesome. Well, that, that brings us to corners. So Ryan, let me just ask you a few things about the top corners in this class. And let me just start with Derek Stingley Jr., because this is a guy that I feel like gets so much like mixed coverage. Like most mock drafts, some mock drafts, you see him going like four to the Jets. Other mock drafts, you see him falling out of the top 10 entirely. 
but from what I've read on this article that I sent you earlier and, and some of the clips they have, it was a very good breakdown. Touchdown Wire did a really good job on breaking down some of the top cornerbacks in the class. He, to me, seems like the number one guy in the class. He seems like just an absolute stud, like press corner that can basically be a lockdown, like Richard Sherman prime equivalent, more or less. And I just wonder why people are so why, why do people have those doubts about him and do you hold those same kind of beliefs yeah yeah i know it's really interesting and yeah, i've watched a lot of stingley you know lsu is one of my favorite programs to follow and you know his freshman year at lsu was just incredible that was the year when lsu won the national championship with joe burrow on the flip side but i mean stingley was a flash every single time he was out on that field for that lsu team so like he totally has that high potential, like you're saying, like he was asked to be one-on-one -on -one in coverage with Kyle Pitts, for example, his freshman year at LSU. I mean, just absurd things that you would never see out of a player like that five-star recruit. You know, he was even rated higher than Patrick Peterson, who is, you know, one of the top LSU corners and was kind of that franchise corner that we were talking about earlier for so long. So I mean, Stingley has just this absolute incredible upside. There's no denying it. His man-to-man -man ability is, is just incredible. He's got unbelievable ball skills, maybe the best ball skills, uh, you know, I can ever remember scouting from, from a player, especially when you look back at some of his tape from his freshman year. But getting into kind of what you were getting at there, Eric, you know, why isn't this guy always a, you know, it seems like he's got the high potential. What are the things that are kind of holding people back uh, about Stingley as a prospect? So a big thing, he just tore some ligaments in his foot. Okay, that's not ideal. He only was able to play in uh, about three games this past season, uh, you know, his junior year at LSU. And um, so, you know, that's tough. He's recovering from, uh, you know, from an injury. You kind of, you know, go, okay, let's look at the medicals here. Maybe this is a player we want to stay away from. So there's kind of concerns there with, uh, with the injury. But even aside from that, Stingley on the field, I think there's a lot of times where, you know, his technique is just not quite, you know, up to par. And yeah, he's still a young corner. I think any corner can say that. But I, I definitely noticed that he, when he was in press man-to-man -man coverages, sometimes, you know, his hands, he wouldn't even get hands on the receivers and he would get beat. You know, there was a, a famous clip of him against Devontae Smith his freshman year where he just got absolutely cooked off the line of scrimmage. He was like looking to the sidelines like, you know, that can't happen. You can't just fall asleep and get completely burned, uh, you know, for like a 60, 70 yard touchdown. So there were definitely times where Stingley would get burned and uh, not even necessarily just, you know, with his technique, but, you know, he'll try and gamble and, and jump up on a play, you know, undercut and route. And then there's a play behind him, a receiver will burn him. I even saw that, you know, his junior year in the three games he played that happened in the game against Central Michigan, where he got burned for a big play. So there's definitely reasons to be concerned about Stingley and he definitely needs development. But I think in terms of his overall upside, uh, it, it's clear to me that that Stingley's, you know, got the most upside uh, of any corner in this class. Joe, I know you haven't done a ton of study on the corners yet, but just bouncing off of that, anything interesting you've seen or heard about Derek Stingley that you'd like to contribute to the conversation? Yeah, he's terrible. I hope he falls all the way to 64. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, me too. Uh, that'd be pretty sweet if everybody just decided, nope, this guy's washed and the Broncos got a nice little certain Stingley. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say the, the foot injury is definitely a huge concern just because the amount of stress that you put on your foot uh, and the, the way it ends up impacting your, your pivot, your hip turn, all that stuff. So like that alone would be a concern. And then the fact that he had two down years after the freshman season, I can definitely understand why people have sauce Gardner above him. 
just because there is a, an element of risk involved with Stingley that you don't necessarily have with Gardner. Let's get to uh, Sauce, as he's called, Ahmad Gardner. Guy out of Cincy, played really good ball there for about three years, right? Um, what can you tell us about Ahmad Gardner, Ryan? And I guess my big question for you on him is what makes him a prospect that these draft nerds are just falling in love with? Like, it, I, I feel like if you follow anyone who tracks the draft super closely on Twitter, they're talking about this guy. What, like what, what makes him such an appealing prospect? Yeah, that's definitely a good point. I mean, Gardner, I think has like the highest floor, for example, like this is a guy where he's going to step in and he's going to be a starter day one, uh, you know, for a team out wide at corner. And I think the reason is consistency, which is so rare for cornerbacks. I mean, every corner gets burned and, and even sauce Gardner will get burned. Uh, you know, when you watch this game, it happens to literally every corner, <laughs> no one is a, a pure shutdown corner and literally never allows a catch. But uh, I think it's the consistency with Gardner. Uh, he, he consistently forces turnovers. He's an outside standing tackler he's physical uh you know really smart instinctual player like he'll jump up and, and make a pick on a play or have the ability to undercut a route and, and get a hand on it when other guys may not so uh i just think that the consistency over the course of gardner's career i mean uh it, it hasn't like i usually like guys that they consistently got better and i think gardner did get better over the course of his time at cincinnati but he came in and he was just ready to go right away so i think the consistency with gardner is really kind of the thing that that stands out and, and separates him from some of the other corners Joe, on uh, Ahmad Gardner, I was wondering uh, if you're looking at teams towards the top of the draft that are more focused on like zone, like zone looks in, in defenses, in secondary coverage, where do you think a good fit for him might be? Where would you want to see him kind of end up? I mean, if he falls to Seattle, he makes a lot of sense for them uh, based on the scheme they run. Uh, I think the Jets could do a lot worse than him with one of their first round picks. The Giants, he makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's not like he's bad in man coverage. Like he can he can run and he has the size to be a number one corner. Uh, again, this is this kind of points back to the comment that we started with with what George Payton said. Sauce Carter has all the traits to be a franchise corner. So he's yeah. the kind of guy you grab in the top 10. <laughs> all right. So you think both these guys, both of you guys would agree, both these guys are going to go in the top 10 of the draft? No. <laughs> no. They I might think Stingley. 64. I, no, I think Stingley slides, though, because of the injury questions okay. and then the fact that he had the two down years. I don't think, it, I don't know if necessarily that means he'll be bad, but I, I think like, the NFL is risk opposed and Derek Stingley has enough risk involved at a volatile position that a lot. And again, we've seen this before teams don't draft corners really, really high unless they're very confident in them. Like if there's any risk, they tend to, they tend to bulk at it. And I think Stingley is going to slide a little bit because of that. Okay. Uh, the last guy here in this article that they bring up, and I just want to ask you, Ryan, first off, is there anyone we, um, is Trent McDuffie? I think I got that name right. Yeah. I, I hope I did. Um, 
for Washington, a guy who played, I, I, I'm actually kind of familiar with him because I watch a lot of the Pac-12, obviously, with Utah being a big part of my job and stuff. Um, he's an absolutely, like, electric, like, they use him like a free safety. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. like, I don't know how to describe it, but, like, he's a free safety that's playing cornerback, and he could very easily slot in as like a nickel guy and take out your slot threats. Um, He seems pretty versatile to me. I don't know if I trust his press coverage a ton. He's not the biggest guy, but uh, Ryan, what are your kind of thoughts on him? Because to me, he's fascinating. And then, my question building off of that is, are these three kind of the guys we talked about, Joe, Joe's point about, you know, NFL teams don't draft corners in the first round unless they're super sure on them. Do you think these three guys that we've talked about thus far are the first round guys that are penciled in? And do, if there are more, once you're done talking about McDuffie, do you think you can point us to them? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'll start kind of on Trent McDuffie. And I think actually how you broke it down is very similarly to how I see McDuffie as well, Eric, you said free safety. And I I saw a tweet recently that was like, man, like Trent McDuffie, you know, he's a pretty good corner, you know, maybe a guy I'd consider taking like the end around one at corner, but if he was a safety, you know, now his, his draft stock's really increasing. He's just kind of a defensive back. And I think really where McDuffie separates himself is his tackling ability. He has really good ability to kind of read and react. And uh, when you mentioned kind of in the NFL, he would kind of project to being a good player to play in the slot uh, and which is an incredibly valuable position now, a slot corner. I think that's why we see McDuffie really kind of rising up boards because such a kind of a sound, smart football player. But I think where he kind of struggles is, you know, he doesn't necessarily have quite the ball skills to be playing out wide. He, he only had two interceptions in his career uh, at Washington, which is something that I definitely kind of look at. I love corners that are really, you know, athletic, able to make plays on the ball, force turnovers. It wasn't necessarily as big a part of McDuffie's game, even though he's a really kind of smart, instinctual football player. So I think that at the NFL, hey, we're just throwing him out there. Maybe he's playing deep safety. Maybe he's playing outside corner in a cover two scheme where he can really kind of jump up and be aggressive, or maybe we throw him in the slot. So versatility is definitely a big thing. And I think that that's really kind of the big reason that you said, Eric, you know, if he can play slot corner in the NFL, he's going to prevent a lot of value and definitely be a guy to consider to take in the first round. So just getting in then into the, the second part about like, you know, other corners or, you know, where do people want to take corners? It really just kind of depends. Like we've seen drafts where there's really only like one or two corners that go in the first round. And we've seen drafts where, you know, it's five or six. So all of those kind of kind of been different things over the past couple of years, but there are a couple other corners that I have first round grades on. Uh, definitely one guy that I really like, and I think is underrated is Roger McCreary from Auburn, uh, senior, a lot of these underclassmen, uh, or a lot of these corners coming out are underclassmen. The guys we talked about earlier was Stingley and Gardner, but, um, you know, Roger McCreary is a, is a senior at Auburn, a really smart, uh, player as well. Really good ball skills. He always had really good production. And, uh, I really enjoyed watching McCreary while he was at Auburn, uh, overall. So he's definitely a guy I would take in the first round, um, as well as Andrew Booth from Clemson. Andrew Booth's like one of my favorite players in this draft class, like super athletic player. He's got crazy ball skills, like not quite to the level of Derek Stingley, but like not that far back either. Like he's got an insane vertical. He had a one-handed insane interception against Virginia one time, incredibly good tackler as well. So I think Andrew Booth is an absolute stud and, and he would even be a player I would consider taking in the top 15. Uh, I'm, I'm really, really high on Booth. And um, I guess just a couple other guys that are, you know, maybe kind of late first round, second round consideration guys, Kair Eli. 
Elam from Florida, super athletic player uh, there that, you know, may get a shot at the end of the first round. Uh, Darion Kendrick from Georgia. He was actually a Clemson transfer and a former wide receiver. So I think maybe, you know, hey, some people have seen Trayvon Diggs uh, with the Cowboys. He's kind of get burned a little bit. Sure. But, you know, forces a ton of interceptions as a wide receiver converted player. So I like Darion Kendrick a lot. He actually had a couple of interceptions in the SEC championship game uh, last year as well. And then one more guy I'll highlight for right now, Kobe Bryant from Cincinnati. We talked about Ahmad Gardner earlier, but uh, the other corner in Cincinnati, Kobe Bryant, he's pretty good as well. He won the Jim Thorpe award for best defensive back last year. So he's definitely, I think, gone a little under the radar. Another really experienced player there. He was a redshirt senior at Cincinnati. So I like Bryant a lot uh, as kind of a, a guy that may be a little bit under the radar you could find on the second day of the draft. All right. Sounds good. Uh, of those guys, Roger McCreary, I just pulled up his uh, NFL draft profile. Uh, this part, I don't really like so much. They say he has physical limitations that could create occasional roller coaster matchups on Sundays. That feels like something that a team would avoid drafting in the first round from what we've talked about. What, what do they kind of mean by that? Short arms. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, McCreary is definitely a guy I like, but I mean, just kind of like one specific game, the Iron Bowl last year, that was kind of the big matchup we were looking at going against John Mechie and Jamison Williams for McCreary, you know, uh, you know, everyone looks at the Iron Bowl always. So that was a big matchup for McCreary. And, you know, he got beat a handful of times in that game, even the game when he touched down went to John Mechie on a dirty route, a, a whip route right by the goal line. But he, he really kind of hung in that game. He definitely had some times where I felt like, you know, he, he, he got beat at times, but um, also battled as well, a good tackler. And, and I like his ball skills as well I think he's uh pretty athletic in, in man coverage and, and has a lot of potential to get better so um yeah I, I think McCreary is a guy that I'm a little bit higher on than than some others but um yeah that's kind of where uh where I see things with him yeah Joe you were saying he, he, he his measurements were a little bit smaller uh it's his arms uh he just has short arms and the NFL has guidelines that basically if your arms are short enough they consider you an inside guy and he falls into that i believe i i, I might be wrong i'm double checking it right now but i thought his measurements came in he had short arms um okay it's gonna be yeah he has 28 and 7 8 inch arms uh and again for the nfl the baseline i want to say is 30 but i again do not have the number right in front of me uh so his arms being 28 as they are would be considered the zeroth percentile for the baseline measurable for NFL cornerbacks uh, based on the scouting list that I have. Uh, ideally, like the hundredth percentile is like 33 and 0.8. Uh, so again, like it seems small. Uh, I can understand why people like overlook it. I'm not necessarily, I haven't watched him enough to say it's a death knell. I don't think he'll be available at 64. So it has not been my focus, but, uh, but if there's concerns about him playing outside in the league, that would probably hurt him. Right. All right. This is the part where this podcast gets a little bit niche. Me and Joe are both here, Ryan. So I'm going to open up the floor to both of us. And I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of let Joe go. Joe, I'd like you to throw out maybe a name or two at corner that you think might be available at 64. And I'd just like to see what Ryan has to think about it. Because, of course, guys – I, I do not know any corners that are going to be available at 64. This is why I have Ryan and Joe on my podcast. So gotcha. uh, guys could maybe throw out a few that might be available in later rounds that might be good values. That'd be good. And we'll wrap up after that. 
so I wrote a post. Uh, it actually came out today, like as we're recording, uh, where I looked at the consensus boards. Uh, Marcus Mosher does it, where he compiles the boards from like Pro Football Focus, Tom McShay, Mel Kuyper, Daniel Jeremiah, Bleach Report, Dane Brugler, and a couple other people. Uh, and so you mentioned Darian Kendrick and Kobe Bryant. Both of those guys could potentially be available at 64. Um, so I was, I appreciate you bringing them up earlier, Ryan. Yeah. Um, my big concern with Kendrick as I like started to dig into him is he ran really poorly as pro day. Uh, I typically don't put too much stock in a workout numbers if the tape is good, but Kendrick does have speed concerns at Georgia. Uh, some scouts, I know Dan, uh, not Daniel Jeremiah. I know Lance Zerline said that he believes that he'll have to be a nickel in the league mm-hmm. for the Broncos. That's fine. Uh, but for a lot of teams that might be an issue. Um, I also know he had, he was arrested in 2021, uh, of March last year on drug and gun charges. Um, so again, like those things might cause him to slide, but he was a good player at Georgia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I mean, Kendrick, I even like some of his tape at, uh, at Clemson. Like he even played pretty early on uh, yeah. yep. his time at Clemson before he got to Georgia as well. So yeah, I see what you're saying with speed. And then, like you said, I mean, Hey, like if we can throw him inside or even throw him at deep safety, um, as long as he doesn't get burned, I think he's a good tackler and can find the ball in the air. So I feel like he could definitely be a, uh, just like a smart instinctual defensive back. You could uh, add to a room with, with maybe some structure already around it. And then the one knock that I saw on Kobe Bryant kind of everywhere I looked uh, was just tackling stuff uh, for the Broncos. I don't know. Cause the Broncos have a new defensive coordinator. Now back when they had Fangio, that might've been a big issue. Uh, but that, if that's what knocks him down to 64, I hope the Broncos still consider him. That's just me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like Brian a lot. Like I, I like for him to have won the Thorpe award last year, I like everybody knew sauce Gardner was good. Like I yep. said, like he's so consistent, like going into even last year, it's not like Gardner just blew up this year and everyone's like, Whoa, like we knew about sauce Gardner for a while, but like Kobe Bryant was really kind of the guy who's like, Whoa, on the other side of the field, like everyone's staying away from sauce Gardner. Like look at what Kobe Bryant's doing, forcing all these picks and uh, whatnot this year. So he, he was really fun to watch and really emerged a lot this year. So a couple other names that showed up when I was, uh, I was looking through the consensus board uh, and I've, I have been focusing on tight ends this week. Uh, but so some of these guys are guys that are on my list to like go back over later, but Tariq Woolen uh, from UTSA. Uh, I know he's like pretty insane athlete. Uh, probably basically going to be a non-contributor on defense as a rookie is my understanding, but like a four, two, six, 40 at six, four is that's rare. Yeah, no, you're spot on there with wool and like really kind of projects as someone that could be really there. Like you, you kind of like the classic thing you say around draft time is like the height, weight, speed guy, you know, the guy that, you know, Hey, if we can coach this guy up to be really good, he's going to be really good. Cause he has those mm-hmm. natural abilities and treat wool and is spot on that guy. He's super fast. He's six foot four. He's 205 pounds, big physical corner, really good tackler, fundamentally sound, but still needs a little bit of work in terms of, you know, finding the ball in the air and, and his pure ball skills. I uh, didn't force, you know, a ton of turnovers in his time at UTSA but really kind of projects as someone that's like, Hey, you know, like you said, not going to be a day one starter, but if we can kind of groom this guy a little bit, give him some more opportunities as his rookie year goes along, maybe he can kind of be more of that like rotational fit that could turn in and project to be a starter down the road. Uh, I had a question for you guys. Um, I don't know if his name's come up yet, but I was just looking at this list of top corners and I, I just follow tropes sometimes. 
And I just feel like drafting Alabama defensive backs is not a bad idea. Just to, if you have, if you have a pretty full draft board and you've acknowledged your needs and it's just like, take best player available. Oh, a defensive back, but played at Alabama. That might make sense. What do you guys think about Josh Job? Yeah, I, I like Josh Joe personally. And and I mean, they even have another corner in this draft, Jalen Armour Davis, who's not bad as well. So I think both Job and, and Armour Davis are, are fair shouts. Like, I think kind of like you were saying on that, Eric, like, yeah, for Alabama, you know, they'll throw out a Marlon Humphrey, who's kind of like this lock first round pick and has been like the franchise corner that the Ravens are looking for. But I kind of more see it as like the other guy the Ravens have with uh, Anthony Averett, just kind of like, yeah, they're just like a fundamentally sound Alabama defensive backs. They're going to come in and, you know, be probably be like your third or fourth corner first day, but they're super smart like they were coached by Nick Saban on how to play defense so that obviously helps you out so I like both Job and, and Armour Davis even though both of them may not be like the first round talents but um, can definitely be you know impactful guys that you can grab on on the second day of the draft I think Josh Job is one of those corners who could be really really great for the Bears with Eberflos, uh or if the Colts continue to use cover two as much as they do uh, I know there's some questions about his ability to like turn and run uh but he's very physical at the line of scrimmage. He has good instincts. He, he can match up with bigger receiving threats. So like, I think he, he could be a good option. I don't think he'll be a fit for everybody. All right. That I'll be interested to see how that plays out because one of my favorite tweets to send out during draft time is every time an Alabama defender gets picked, I just send out a tweet that says that's just a solid defensive pick because most of the time I'm right because it's just if you go to Alabama and you get drafted as a defensive player, you're just usually a solid defensive player. That's that's yeah, kind of the way that's how this, they turn them out. Kind of kind of a way, kind of a way it's it, like a life it, hack. It works out. Like even Trevon Diggs, like he got burnt a few times, but like he got burnt a lot, Eric. He got, he got burnt, burnt a lot. I know, but still. Yeah, so, but he's worth he, it because he can force all these turnovers. So solid, solid receiver. I, I would, I would define him as solid Alabama defensive player. So, yeah, uh, you know, hey, he's better than good. any corner Dallas has. He's way better than Anthony Brown last year, that's for sure. All right, well, uh, we can head out of here, or we can do a quick top ten kind of on the fly mock draft, which we've been doing kind of at the end of these shows. I'll let you guys pick. Uh, well, okay, Eric, how about, how about an alternate proposal? I I'm down for a top 10 mock draft, but I'll give you like three, like, or a couple like day three corners as well. Like, well, okay. on the topic, yeah. like, like, you know, like, like late third round, it's fucking sixth round. You're like, I don't know who to take guys that I think are, are still pretty solid. I don't know if they'll necessarily be there. Day three of the draft is kind of a shit show, but Alante Taylor, that's a guy from Tennessee. I've been yep. seeing a lot more tweets and, and clips from Alante Taylor. So he's not a bad guy to check out. Jack Jones from Arizona state forced a ton of turnovers, but he's super short. So that's kind of like a fun, like underdog story. Like it's a really good player, but he's like short as hell. So we'll see if he kind of works out. Kalen Barnes from Baylor, Baylor defensive backs this year are like insane. They've got a couple safeties that are really good with Petrie and JT woods, but Kalen Barnes ran like a super fast 40 at the, uh, at the combine. So we know everyone's just like, Oh, fast corner. We got to take him. Even if he has like no football ability and, and Barnes is actually pretty solid corner himself. So I Barnes may even be a guy that, that we see on day 
32 of the draft. I think he's pretty good. Uh, Matt Hankins from Iowa. I love my Iowa defensive backs. Eric, you were talking about the Alabama players. I, Iowa parts out some pretty good DBs too. And Hankins had a little bit of injury time, but like a four-year player starter at Iowa. He actually emerged a lot last year as well. He's pretty good. And then last guy I'll mention, Marcus Jones from Houston. This guy had like some major like kick return touchdowns. So he's just kind of like super fun athlete guy that can be stress special teams contributor. Those guys always get drafted on day three. So Marcus Jones could kind of be a fun pick. We're watching red zone on in week eight and they're like, Oh, kick return touchdown for Marcus Jones. You're like, who is that guy? Well, you heard, heard it here first. That's uh, I'm letting you know about these day three guys. So there's a couple more guys uh, for, for corners to uh, watch out for. Sounds good. I've made the executive decision that this, we're going to keep this episode nice and short. We'll do a mock draft another day. Thank you both for joining me, Joe. Appreciate you. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right, Ryan. Uh, so next week, I don't know what our podcast plans are uh, because I'm starting up with minor league baseball and that just becomes like a crazy, like hellscape for me. Yes. And uh, Trey might be busy with some final projects. So we might not have a podcast this next week especially if there's not a lot of NFL news, but we definitely do want to continue previewing draft positions, uh, Ryan. So let's just go over what we've done so far. We've done edge. We've done wide receiver. We have done cornerback. Mm -hmm. I feel like we need to do like some combining a, a little bit. Um, I feel like our next show, which might be good to do like, I feel like they're hot in the streets right now. It might finally be time to look at like the quarterback prospects, even though I really don't want to because I just, I can't stand mediocrity, but that's kind of what we're getting. So I feel like Ryan, the next time we have you on, let's just go quarterbacks. Let's just go quarterback wild. Yeah. I mean, quarterbacks is fun. Cause like, we're actually talking about like the guy, like, like character is so important with quarterback. Like we need to actually do research on like, okay, where is this guy from? Where did he go to high school? How high of a recruit was he? How many years did he start? Like, it's like, you absolutely analyze the quarterback position. So that's what kind of make it fun as well. Was he a team captain? Yes. Yeah. They have to be. It's a major red flag if you're not. So gotta make sure you're a team captain. Yep. Yeah, and then uh, after that, we'll combine running back tight end, I think. And then we'll do an offensive line show and a defensive line show. And I'm hoping we get a guest for that. I'm working my hardest to try to figure out that that might come like very last second. But I'm really trying to get this guy I worked with played in the NFL for a little while as a defensive lineman. And I, you know, I just would like to get him on the podcast to talk about that kind of stuff and maybe we'll have ryan here too to just provide more draft analysis but i also just want to talk with this guy a little bit because he's just kind of a fascinating character and i think he'd like ryan and, and miss misfit crew and cast of characters we've got ryan where can people find your your other great podcast brody on the horn where can they find you on twitter and then let's just get out of here yeah let's do it shout out my podcast brody on the horn my good buddy Donnie and I always chatting that up goes out on Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, all fun stuff on there. Check me out on Twitter at Roadkill823. Funny handle, but it's a nickname of mine. So give me a shout on there. I love uh, chatting about sports on there. So yeah, no, it's been a good one, Eric. I always appreciate you having me on. And yeah, let's do it. Quarterbacks next time I'm on. Can't wait. All right. We will see you all when we see it. Keep an eye on the Twitter for updates. 
if not next week, the week after. See you later. Peace out.